Welcome to Classical Etc., a show that dives into the philosophy, culture, and heart of classical education. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. Hello, my name is Shane Saxon, and this is Classical Etc. Season 2, and we've got some great stuff coming this season. We're sitting down with Paul Schaefer, Martin Cothran, and Tanya Charlton to talk about some of the core ideas at the heart of Memoria Press. So today we talked about classical education. We defined it. We may have gotten in a few arguments and some discussions about what classical education actually is. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Welcome to the second season of Classical Etc. Right now I'm seated with Paul Schaefer, Tony Charlton, and Martin Cothran, three people that the Memoria Press faithful need no introduction to. So we are this season going to be talking about six or seven different key themes and ideas from Memoria Press's um, heart about classical education and what this company is built on. And so we're starting today with a central concept, one that I, I think is kind of important to us, and that is the idea of classical. We're a classical Christian publishing company. So first, I want to kick to Martin. Martin, what is classical? Well, uh, technically speaking, classical is a word that has traditionally referred to the cultures of Greece and Rome. Um, we use it now to refer to the, the system of education that came from those two cultures. Um, it was taken also by Christianity and sort of baptized, transformed and completed, and uh, which, which uh, had a, a revival in the, uh, in the late Middle Ages, uh, forming where they formed what we now call the universities. Um, and that education um, was all that education really meant. I mean, when you said education up until about the middle of the 19th century, you meant classical education. You meant a system of education which involved the arts and the sciences, the skills, uh, the arts, the seven liberal arts mainly, um, the linguistic and mathematical uh, mental skills. And then you had the body of the best that's been thought and said, uh, the great books, uh, which was the content of classical education from which we've derived our different subjects and disciplines. Um, it, it was not, um, if I could just, by way of contrast, mention that it was not um, vocational education. Education, classical education was never meant to, you know, enable you to get a job specifically. Um, although it does that better than most other programs that purport to do that. Uh, nor was it about um, uh, uh, reforming society through the schools, which has been the other impulse in modern times that has replaced the original purpose of education. Uh, the purpose of education was to pass on your culture. And in Western civilization, that was passing on the culture of the Christian West. That was the purpose of education through the arts and sciences. So, Tanya, I know that in your career, you've spent a lot of your time trying to figure out what the things Martin says mean. And <laughs> I think you're going to play a valuable role for us in this in this show. I, I did not select her as my interpreter. I just want you to know. <laughs> so tell me, what did he mean by that? What is classical education? Classical education is the study of Latin in the ancient civilizations of Greek and Rome. Greece and Rome. That's, that's a good interpretation. Thank you. <laughs> we could... Okay, 10 minutes, <laughs> 10 minutes to say 30 seconds worth of material. Uh, mine was more complete, though. But but Paul here, can, he can, can, he can I, elucidate I, on what Martin is saying. But well, I would like to challenge to Martin. Said. Can okay. I challenge let's Martin? Hear, let's hear the challenge. Because Martin was talking about it's not vocational training or this, that, and the other. And I would like to make a distinction between the way education was used and the fact that that training did happen, right? 
So, so the ancient Romans, you, you, somebody had to learn to be a blacksmith. Somebody had to learn to be the cook, right? And yet, what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is those people were not considered educated. That's correct. And so when we say education as the Greeks and the Romans understood it, we're talking academically yeah, you weren't, forming the mind. You didn't go to school to learn those things. You apprenticed to do those things. That you learned how to do them, but not in a school. So what, what you did in a school, education as far formal education, what, what goes on in a school, which is the primary definition of education, it was not vocational. So then when – I would like to propose that when we say we are educating the liberal arts, what really fundamentally what we're going after is that which is going to contribute to human flourishing. Yes, but there's all kinds of things that you that well, sure, that it's all made up of a whole right, bunch right. of stuff. Right. Yeah. That's so, one way of human of Tanya, what you're human flourishing. What you're saying is that Latin and the liberal arts <laughs> are the things that contribute best to human flourishing for kids when they're in school. Which was an yeah. interpretation of what I said. <laughs> it truly was. And you could just skip his, just cut him, <laughs> go straight to me, and we'll be out of here very shortly. <laughs> but, um, but I think the point, the main point that I'd like to make that as a company sets us apart is that we consider Latin a requirement mm. for a classical education. And there are other curriculum companies who are classical who say that Latin is needed, but not essential. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I just want, I always want to make sure everybody does understand that for us, it is essential. And Martin, does that fit with your definition? Yeah, I was going to say that that's just more, more specificity. <laughs> yeah. what I was saying. Because yeah. what I said was the are the liberal arts. Okay. Well, the liberal arts, what are they? Um, they're, they're, uh, the, the three language arts and the four mathematical arts. They're the language arts are grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Well, grammar, the first of the liberal arts, the best way you learn that and the way it was done in classical education was through learning Greek and, and Latin. That's yeah. the way you learn We're grammar. agreeing with each oh, other. Wow. It's just that I'm speaking English and I, he's speaking, <laughs> I don't so, know. <laughs> Paul, do you want to challenge Tanya and Martin now that they agree? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I would not. Um, but distinctions are always helpful, right? You said it was learned through Greek and Latin. And I think it's important to point out that the Romans did not learn their language through Latin, they learned it through Greek, and what what we're taking down from the Middle Ages, right, is is Latin because that is, is you know the the civilization that was handed down to us was largely through that means, and Latin being a second language for us is is the sort of the best way for us to go about learning language. Well, you you learn your language best by studying another one, and for the Romans it was the Greeks, for the Europeans it was Latin and Greek. And, and and Latin always did have the, the primacy. Uh, if you went back to the Ivy League schools that were established by the Puritans, which were thoroughly classical institutions, Latin was always primary, Greek secondary, and Hebrew tertiary. And Cheryl would always say, you have to have Latin and Greek if you can get to it. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, so you've been talking, you just mentioned, Cheryl, where you, I think, would, is that where you, from Cheryl you would say where you kind of learned your definition of classical education? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I've never even I didn't have any clue what a classical education was until I sat in a church basement and listened to her tell me. Yeah. So then, with Paul, I'm interested for you because you kind of grew up in a somewhat of a classical education. Um, wh where, when did along the line did you think you could put your finger on this is what a classical education is? This is how I would define it. How did you come about that? 
Uh, well, unfortunately, here I'd have to um, uh, agree with Martin because he talked about right. This is what <laughs> education was, and that was my perspective. This is just education, right? And uh, it was I. I took a. I don't even know what course it was in, but I was. It was in some humanities course, and I remember the teacher going over the liberal arts and here's the, here's what the trivium is. Here's what the quadrivium is. And I just ever after that, this is sort of the categories that stuck in my head. And again, this is just what education was like. I didn't realize that there were competing. I, I guess I was in a bubble, um, a big bubble for a long time. Um, but I just didn't realize it. And so it was probably, yeah, I was college age where I started looking and going, Oh, Wait, other people are doing other things. And were there specific things that clicked that you were like, this is what's different about how I've always thought of Latin or classical education and this is what it looks like for other people? Well, I think that really dawned on me when I was when I started working for Memorial Press. I started going to other schools and going, you do what? Mm. <laughs> um, and then realizing, oh, okay. Um, it, and it took me a lot of a lot of time to kind of understand why they why somebody would think to do something else. Um, we, we all naturally, I think, teach the way we were taught unless we see something that is so much better or we, you know, realize that what we were doing was so deeply flawed, then we try to change it. Right. Um, and change is hard, but, um, you know, those people that are doing things that are very different from classical education, they have reasons for it. And if you can understand that and you say, okay, well, you know, sort of the, your impetus for doing that is is a good impetus but you've 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 kind of elevated it beyond its its uh, where it ought to be and so you know it's it's all about rightly ordering things and you know it's it's a wonderful thing to learn uh, i don't know um chinese or you know engineering those sorts of things but that's is that central to what it means to you know be a free person to humanly flourish well, no, but learning language is, right? Because we communicate through language and the best way to learn language is through Latin. So this is for actually both of you. You come from the opposite perspective of Paul having not been classically educated yourselves. But aside from just learning what it was, there's something about it that has compelled both of you to kind of give your lives to it. What are those things about classical education that make that have made you feel like this is really important and, and ought to be something you spent your life on? Well, I think, you know, when you, when you realize that, uh, you know, in, in, in discussing classical education, you hear the terms, the, the true, the good, and the beautiful, you know, all of this, and I think we probably all say this, we've all kind of, uh, kind of, uh, followed the thread back, mm -hmm. right? Uh, when I, my understanding of classical education started when there was a big public controversy here in Kentucky, which we discussed on another podcast, which Cheryl Lowe was also involved in. And we're trying to find, we, you know, we're trying to determine what is wrong with this. We know it's the wrong way to do things, but what is wrong with it? And in order to know what's wrong with something, you got to figure out what's right. And so it, it just led us back to what education um, used to be. And to find out there's just all this richness there, which we've just eliminated from our schools. I mean, you, you look at, at, at classical education and, and the richness of the curriculum, and then you compare it to what's going on in a lot of schools, and it's almost as if that's just not education at all. Um, and that sounds really, you know, like you're trying to be superior and everything, but, you know, there are standards out there, and, mm -hmm. and there are, uh, there's something called good education, and if you trace it back, it's there, but it is a process to try to find it. Yeah, so really the quality of it is kind of what attracted mm -hmm. you to it, the, the sturdiness of it. What about mm -hmm. you, Tanya? 
Cheryl Lowe and uh, looking for some kind of option for my children when the public school system was just not where we lived, was just not going to do it for me. It was really just academic for me, what I wanted for my children. And then watching them, I mean, just through their education, seeing how they flourished. And, you know, my youngest son had terrible learning disabilities, but was able, you know, to do this not as well as others necessarily, but it didn't come easy for him. But just to see how he could think and how when he went to college, how he excelled because of this. So I believed Cheryl, Mm -hmm. but then I actually saw the proof through my own children. And I think you would say that. Oh, absolutely. We classically educated our children while Paul was being classically educated. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) And my kids didn't know. They didn't know that they were not having the same kind of education as other people. They just assumed everybody was um, reading the Iliad when they were in the seventh grade and summarizing every single chapter. (laughs) They just had no idea. You know, they were just thrilled that they only went to school two days a week. (laughs) Well, the other thing, too, is, you know, there there are certain places where you that, that are good places to start that invite you into. I, I was a business student, but started taking classes in philosophy mm-hmm. where they're addressing big questions, you know, in the important questions about life and human beings and God. And, and, and that was, that was something that, you know, sort of, uh, prepared me to be attracted by this. And, and then there was, uh, going to the library, uh, after standing in line in, at, at the bank and seeing the umpteenth Chesterton quotation, and and d- deciding, I'm going to go to the library f- and f- find some of this guy's book. So I'd march over to the U- University of California, Santa Barbara Library, and look Chesterton up on the card catalog and go to the fourth floor. And there's five shelves of books. And pulling one out, which happened to be orthodox, uh, no, no, uh, heretics, mm. and opening up and reading a, a paragraph and thinking, this is the person I've always wanted to read and didn't know it. And just reading Chesterton. And following the links, you know, there's certain writers that you kind of fall in love with and that will lead you to this as well. Sure. So when we defined um, classical education at the beginning, we talked about Latin a little bit. But another piece at Memoria Press that I think is part of our classical DNA is the study of classical studies itself, the the Greek and Roman myths and legends and history of Greece and Rome. And that may be something that strikes people as odd. It definitely strikes people as odd. So, Paul, um, speak to that. What do you think is valuable about studying Greece and Rome, and how do you see that relating to our definition of classical education? Well, it's funny because when you say it's odd, I'm, I'm sitting here going, well, I I remember just being enthralled with the Dolores Greek Myths book when I was third or fourth grade. And I'd just sit there and look, I mean, look at the pictures and read the stories and look at the pictures and read the stories. Um, it, you know, there's, there's something about those stories, right? Because... The, the the Greek mythology, but even even Greek and Roman history, right? What we have is what they chose to pass down, right? And so these are the important things. These are the things that they felt were um, that spoke uh, to their culture, but also to them as human beings, right? And so we can look at um, the the Greek or Roman gods and see the see sort of. Um, just in in sort of literary form, what they felt was important for human beings, right? And we can sort of see. I mean, they're they're anthropomorphic, so they're they're projecting themselves onto these deities, and we can see 
the virtues and the vices and this, you know, and so it's really a, a study in human nature in a way that, you know, they, they elevated virtue, human virtue and in those stories. And that's what gets passed down. And they showed what happens when you are vicious. Um, and so I think for those reasons, and, and it, it, again, it propels us. Yes. That, that is the, there's the forefathers of our civilization, but it propels us outside of our own tiny little bubble. Right. And I talk about being in my own bubble. Right. But in a sense, I wasn't in a bubble because here I was studying a different, a different age, right. Where different things were esteemed. Um, and, and it, it helps me see my own culture in a more critical lens of, you know, should we be doing this? Should we not be doing this? Whereas a lot of, th- a lot of times we just like to accept things wholesale because it's just what we do. And so I think that's, it's important for those reasons. The historian Richard Tarnas makes a point in one of his books that we're all Greeks, whether we know it or not. The way we think was, was determined by the Greeks. Mm -hmm. When you have Socrates who asked, who, who, who who says that you taking the uh, saying on the, on the uh, uh, building of the Oracle at Delphi, know thyself. He starts asking questions. Um, and, and dealing with these big questions and the whole history of Western civilization is building on, uh, on the Greeks and, and, and the Hebrews as well, the, uh, uh, the Bible. Um, and, and this is the way we think. This is, this is um, you know, you, you go back and you look at the values and ideals of Greece and Rome and, uh, and you see the Greeks and their values are strength and intelligence. The Romans, their values are uh, order and piety, which is the order of the soul. And the, the, that's what's at the headwaters of our civilization. That's That determined the way we think today. And it's instructive. It's educational to go back and look at the people who originally articulated the way you think today, even if you are against it, even the, the opponents of Western civilization critique it, but they have to critique it on on standards they got from Western civilization. Sure. Sure. And, and one thing I'd like to point out too is something is as familiar, you're as familiar and comfortable with something as you make it, right? However much time you spend with it, right? It was, it was, those stories were familiar and comfortable for everybody in, in the United States until a hundred years ago, or, you know, or even less, maybe 50 years ago, right? This, this is just something that everybody knew, right? It was common knowledge. And so it, it, it was, it, it you know, it, these are the sorts of stories you might, you know, you might hear, you know, in being told in the home. Right. And so it's, it's not some, it's really when we say we should, we should study Greece and Rome, we're like, we should study what our grandparents knew, yeah. you know? Yeah. And Tony, you were a classroom teacher. Mm-hmm. You, you actually taught these and you still stand by them. So you saw it work in the classroom. What was your relationship to these stories and teaching them? Well, this is making me think of not just my experience teaching them, but yesterday I was in, I was observing a fourth grade classroom doing Famous Men of Rome, and they were doing the story of um, when when they kicked the kings out Mm -hmm. and decided they would have consuls that would just serve for a limited time. They just, no more kings. And the kids were so excited about that. And they, the teacher just did a fabulous job of connecting it to what the students know now about their own government. And it was just, you know, it's just a beautiful thing to see that it is still relevant, but it's told in story form, which is so perfect for that age. Mm -hmm. 
but they're learning so much and they're excited and it's hard. It's not easy, you know, to, to talk about those things. And, but it's amazing what kids can do if you just ask it of them. And I was, I mean, I was one of those parents that was like, I cannot believe you are asking my child to do this, but they always did it. They always rose to it. We just don't ask enough of them. Hmm. That is not what you asked me. No, it was. Just, it was. Sorry. It was exactly I what I asked I had that story on my mind. It's a great story, and I love it. <laughs> so once we define classical education, the question that comes immediately is, we have a definition. What does it look like in actual situations? And sitting at this table, we've got uh, online academy, a college, uh, you know, a, a publishing company for homeschool curriculum and <clears> a school. What What is classical education, the idea, how does it take form in classrooms? What do you think are the distinctives, Paul, that that a school needs to hold to, to really be classical, especially well, in an, for you in online school. Sure. I mean, an online school has its uh, significant challenges when here I am talking about classical education as human flourishing. Right. And I don't, I can't, I don't even get to, you know, be in the same room as, as my teachers or the students. Right. And, and, and that has its, its issues, but we've covered content. Right. So, you know, if, if the content you're offering is not classical in nature, you need to kind of reevaluate, right? Um, but then also how it's taught, right? Are you are you requiring thought of the students, right? And so you, you can go d- dig into child development. I know one of Martin's favorite topics. Um, and, but but you know, I mean, just the younger kids are they are they getting these stories, right? As they get older, are they starting to think about those stories and go, huh? But that would mean this other thing. And, 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 but that person didn't do this. And why didn't they do that? Right. All of those sorts of questions. But if, but if, you know, you're, you're in the middle school or high school level and teachers are saying the character did this because of this, this, and this, you're not asking the student to think. And I think that's important to see in the classroom that there, that those sorts of skills are being asked, right? It's a liberal arts, it's, it's skills. And if you, if, if you're just being told what to think, you'd never develop that. And so I think that's important to see in school and, and, you know, sort of the last thing in my mind is just how we, how we treat our students, how we deal with behavioral issues, how we deal with discipline issues and that, <clears throat> you know, we, we, you know, it's a, it's a partnership with the parents. It's not us trying to pull this kid out of a family and, and do something separate. You know, it's, it's us partnering with them and it's us treating them and giving them, you know, an equal balance, justice and mercy, right. Where, where we treat them as human beings and not as sort of automatons in a, in a computer program where, Oh, you know, you did this wrong. You're getting this consequence, but well, okay, let me, let me find out about your situation. You know, how, how do I come beside you as a human being, a human individual with emotions and needs and, you know, challenges and, and strengths. And so um, all of those sorts of things, I mean, we could, you gave us 30 minutes. We could talk about this for days. Yeah. Well, and Martin, for you with a college, um, ideally students would be learning the liberal arts at a much younger age, right? And so what what does it look like for you all as you're thinking about how effective the college is going to be to be classical in some sense? Well, we're studying the works that uh, classical education K through 12 is preparing <laughs> students to read. We're actually reading them with adults who've already had an education that that has enabled them to to read great books because great books are not necessarily easy. Um, and, and we are teaching them in a class, um, where we are, we are using Socratic, almost purely Socratic instruction where 
Everyone has read the books and then they come together and they discuss them. We do that as adults. Um, I know a lot of people want to do that down at the lower school levels, but when you're talking about classrooms like Tanya's talking about, you know, you're always using Socratic discourse to a certain extent. You're, you're asking questions. Anytime you ask a question, expecting an answer, it's that's Socratic. But, you know, there are didactic methods of instruction and coaching that has to go on when you're preparing people to read these works. So, you know, in my program, we have the luxury of not worrying about all that other stuff. We can just talk about them. Sure. Uh, but, but, but that's what classical education really is. It's, what we're doing is sort of the culmination of yeah. classical education. What, what K through 12 schools are doing is preparing students to do that. Sure. Martin, that sounds very nice. Mm -hmm. Maybe one day I'll uh, get an opportunity to. Yeah, well, we might admit you. <laughs> <laughs> so then, Tanya, for you specifically, I wanted to ask you, how does a homeschool, how does a homeschool be classical? Um, it seems like a homeschool could be so many things, but how can it be classical? Well, if you go back to my simple definition, <laughs> you would do Latin and study the ancient civilizations of Greece and Rome. I mean, that really is it. It's just your academics and it's really i mean we can talk about traditional classrooms and yeah, we will. um that's really you know it's difficult at home about um how you do you want your students in pajamas or do they need to have a uniform on that's just an individual family decision but as far as the academics goes you just go to memorial press do our curriculum and you will your student will be classically educated i mean that we've just worked it out and for me and for my children we were around a dining room table but they were reading all these great things and they were studying latin and it was really it's hard it's not you know it's not easy it's yes they went to school two days a week but the things that they were doing those two days and the things we had to do at home the rest of the week were so much more difficult than anything their friends were doing, even though they thought they had one up on their friends because sure. they were only going to school two days a week. They just had no idea. And that was okay. Yeah. And but, it, I think it was important to articulate to homeschooling mothers in particular, you know, because when I, when we were homeschooling um, and trying to do it classically, you know, I would come home and and my wife would be upset because she hadn't done science in two weeks and hadn't done history in a week or whatever. And, and, um, and I said, well, okay, so did they do their math? Yes. Uh, did they do their Latin? Yes. Did they read something from one of the many books that we read at home, you know, history or geography or nature books or whatever? Were they able to spend half an hour, hour doing that? Yes. Then I just said, good job. You know, right. because in a nutshell, you you said Latin and the, math. You would also well, include right? Latin and math, and Not then my favorite the great books. I mean, th books. this would. So if you're, you know, you know, we've we parceled, you know, parsed things out in our curriculum to make that all easier to do and all, all that. But fundamentally, at bottom, uh, I I think Tanya's right. You know, Latin, math, and and really good books. Even um, though I didn't say math, but okay, if you want to do math, <laughs> that's fine. All right. Well, I think this is a great conversation. I think we've realized that classical education is Latin, the great books, <laughs> Greece, Rome, and maybe math. So I look forward to seeing you all next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. 
A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit memoriapress.com. To connect with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.